0: Welcome back to the Odd Numbers podcast with me, Jack Siggs. This week's guest is Jamie Spinks, who recently moved over to Columbia Records to head up A&R there. He was previously at Polydor, where he signed the likes of Muramasa and worked on projects with Ray, Celeste, Ellie Goulding and more. In this conversation, we spoke about his journey into a having studied audio engineering previously, how he developed taste which he describes as suburban, um, which is a taste that's also commercially popular, um, and spoke about his recent successes with Vembi and how TikTok has accelerated her genuine talent. And I guess some of the difficulties surrounding that as well. Check out our Instagram, which is at underscore odd numbers, to stay updated on who we have coming on here, and also what else the team is working on, from mentorship to investment. If you want to introduce yourself, save me a save me a job. A yeah, call cool. right now. Go for
1: it. Yeah. So uh, I'm Jamie Spinks. I'm. Uh, A&R director at Columbia Records and I have a joint venture label at Columbia called Room 2
0: we'll go straight back to the start because I want to know like, where you're from what music you're listening to etc so yeah, what, what was music like in your childhood
1: I think I mean as a young kid I was just I was just into pop music I was just into what whatever was on the radio I didn't have like a specific taste I think my taste developed uh, around sort of like, 15, like 14, 15 um, when garage was a thing on the underground. And a lot of my mates had decks, like one of my mates in particular go to his house. He had a lot of garage vinyls and I was like, I want to get in on this. So I ended up like buying all of these garage vinyls off of him. Like it was like miss dynamite boo. And um, like, like around the time of so solid crew and like I ended up getting decks of my own and yeah so it's about 15 and that that that's sort of where my musical taste started in terms of like what I consider to be cool music. Um, The garage scene was really influential in that.
0: So you're the first person I've actually spoken to who's I'm you know in quotation marks just an A&R as in like most people I've spoken to have been like managers or um, marketing directors or or whatever but they've always like had an interest in A&R but I think if we'll probably come back to taste quite a lot, mm. like, do you feel that you intentionally developed your taste? No.
1: You, does it just? No, it was very unintentional. I think I had a very, I had a very sort of suburban lifestyle. And my parents weren't particularly uh, sort of like influential in terms of injecting sort of music into me, or, or it was more through friends and what was going on at the time um and i just i just really connected with the music like with the streets um the first album um and yeah it was just a point in my life where where sort of music and taste and like the culture and going to record shop, going to record shops was sort of important to me and then it kind of developed from there i don't think before sort of that age before 14 15 i had ever considered that i wanted to work in music or that's sort of what i wanted to be but when i had when i had vinyls and and records at home i'd look at the back and find out who produced the record and i was like music producer that sounds cool like i want to maybe i can get into that but i had no musical acumen at the At the time and i didn't play any instruments or anything i was just like this all feels really cool and sounds really cool so i wanted to that's where i got my first sort of my instinct an instinct or something that told me i wanted to i wanted to work in music and i started to pursue a a career in music from there initially initially i thought that i could be a producer and i ended up going to uni and doing a sound design sound engineering course with it in mind that all right cool I I don't have like I don't have like a musical instrument background but I could learn how to be a programmer or or, you know um I can learn the software enable to to so I can make music but during that time at uni I spent a lot of time in the studio, I spent a lot of time mixing, I spent a lot of time around, you know, engineering and I just didn't want to be in the studio for the rest of my life. The day seemed to go really quickly when you're sort of sitting in the studio. Yeah. And then you would, I'd come out, I'd go in nine o'clock in the morning, start a session, then mix in a band or something, I'd come out and it would be dark and I'd be like, if I do this every day for the rest of my life, it's going to go really quickly. Mm. And I kind of enjoyed like to me that felt kind of too technical I was worried about like what microphone we were using or what to me I just enjoyed like sitting with the band and like talking about music and so I think from there that's where I got an idea that I think maybe A&R might be the thing for me like more probably I, I, I then resigned myself to the fact that I wasn't going to be a music producer like I didn't have that acumen or the yeah. Sort of musical knowledge to be able to do that, but I felt like I knew what people wanted, like my friends around me, what music they wanted to listen to, and um, so yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Like kind of around then, around sort of like seventeen, when I went to uni, I was like, this isn't quite for me, but but there is a job for me in the music industry that I feel like I want to pursue.
0: Do you think you're a better A and R because you did that?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Looking back, at the time, I didn't think that uni was going to be especially helpful, and the course that I did was especially helpful. But when I sit in the studio now, like with mixers, with producers, you know, I learn pro tools, I learn you know recording, I learn different microphones, um, I understand the software that they're using, I understand stems. Like it is really helpful now. For, for me and that, just even being in the studio that can be like daunting when you walk into a studio for the first time and you're sort of I feel comfortable being if an artist is there writing or if a producer I feel comfortable in the studio and I think that's because I spent three years at uni being in, in that environment so definitely helped
0: I think on the journey Did you begin making steps into the music industry while you were still at uni or, or did you?
1: No my my f- my first sort of industry experience is I got got put in contact with um, somebody at the Brit Awards and they were looking for somebody to set up all their social media so the Brit Awards at the time didn't have Facebook or Twitter or anything like that so I went in there part time I earned £30 a day and I did like two or three days a week and I set up their Facebook and like set up there, you know. I don't I don't even know that Instagram was around at the time, but, and then they had, they needed to cut up every Brit Awards ceremony video into sections of awards. So I had to watch 30 years worth of Brit Awards <laughs> shows and cut them into sections, but it was actually really fun. And then I got to go to the, show. I got a AAA pass to the awards that year, that was 2010. And I got, you know, AAA pass, I, I was at rehearsal. It was at Earls Court then. I was at rehearsal and I got to like I watched Jay-Z rehearsing Empire State of Mind and I watched Lady Gaga rehearsing and Dizzy and Florence perform together. It was like it was it was awesome. It was like an amazing experience and like a great way to get into the industry. And while I was there, I was apply I knew that it was only a little part-time job and after the brits was over i wasn't going to have like a job so i started applying for internships sending a cv sending cvs out and um i got an interview at polydor for an a and r internship which was going to be for a year and went and did the interview and got the job and that was sort of the start of my label journey really sort of just getting my foot in the door which always was told was like the hardest thing to do, and um, yeah, it was 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 great. I sort of just spent a year like trying to make myself indispensable. I was, I, I felt like I was probably kind of shy and didn't want to impose myself. I did. I, I knew I wanted to work in AR and I went for an ANR internship, and I got it. But it wasn't, it wasn't teaching you how to be in ANR. You were just. I was making tea. I was like. I was doing anything. I was coming up, like, I was like, I haven't got anything to do. All right, I'm going to clean the station cupboard. Or, like, I'm going to. Uh, Cheryl Cole was on Polydor at the time and she used to get like tons and tons of fan mail in the post. I was like, oh, I'm going to reply to the fan yeah. mail. And, like, I was just doing anything. I'd turn up early, I'd leave late. I was doing anything so that at the end of the year of my internship, they wouldn't let me leave. Like, I didn't want to leave. That was it. It's like, if I can stay here, then I've got a shot of like, go into the a and r meeting and sort of like and then and in that time i just had to figure it out like started going out to gigs to random stuff and then and then the team the a r team like realized that i wanted to get into it and sort of started helping me and directing me to the right things to go to and um and at the end of that year of the year of internship i went to my boss at the time who was president of the label called Ferdy Younger Hamilton and I said oh, obviously I don't want to leave and he's like you know you're great at what you're doing he said you could be the best a and that I've ever met he's like you just need to bring me some stuff like I had spent a year sort of being shy and not really wanting to put my neck out and he's like you know keep on doing what you're doing come to the A&R meetings and learn so that's that's kind of where the, the sort of journey began when I was allowed into the A&R meetings.
0: Do you remember some of the earlier contributions that you made? Like what sort of stuff you were into? Because I'd love to put a playlist together, like a companion playlist for this podcast. Um, so whatever you mention, we'll, we'll add okay. to
1: the playlist. I podcast. mean, uh, like the f- the very first and meetings I was in, I'm pretty sure that I didn't bring anything good to the table. And I, I met Ed Sheeran was a thing at the time and I remember that he was working with a rapper that I was looking at. And um, it was a lot of rappers. I think at the time, SBTV was a thing. Uh, Ed Sheeran was putting loads of choruses on on rappers' uh, songs, and uh, so I, I think I probably just brought in everything that I saw on SBTV at the time. And then, and then I like the thing that probably got my career going was a band called Bastille. I went to see, like, their first gig ever. It was on a boat, and I remember bringing that in and sort of kept bringing it in. And every show I saw, there were more and more people at it. And I think that's the first time I got taken seriously because they then ended up signing to another label. And it was a bit like, oh, he's been talking about that for ages, and it got signed. I think it's probably the first time I got taken, like, seriously in terms of, like, oh, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Um, And then... And then I ended, yeah, I just ended up sort of kept bringing stuff in. Signed a couple of artists. Um, I signed a singer songwriter called Kimberly Ann, and I signed a, a guy called Bipo- Bipolar Sunshine. And um, and I did that in conjunction with the the head of A and R at the time was called Ben Mortimer, and he was helping me. And there was a guy there called Jamie Nelson. And so, like, as a junior A and person, I would sign something with them, and they would help me and direct me. Um, what
0: sort of advice did they give you? Like, I think it's from the outside A and R is kind of a, a mystery, right? Like, yeah, unless you're in it, I feel like it's kind of hard to understand. So I'd love to like try and flesh it out a little more. Like, what sort of stuff were they?
1: I think advising? so. The deals or the yeah, a, a, a bit of everything. I think it's more about it was more at the time about expanding your knowledge of what your day to day job is, right, and what you're going to do when you sign an artist. So you find somebody, an artist that you think is talented and you want to sign them and you win the deal by, I don't know, be, becoming friends with them or like however it is, like finding a personal connection with the artist, signing them and then what do you do next, right? So I had, as an intern, I like I started looking into that and I'd, I think it's simple as looking at songs that are big or songs that you like and finding out who was behind them, finding out the producer, finding out the writer, and then going to meet them. And it's creating a network of songwriters and producers that then when you sign the artist, you're like, oh, I know who this, it would be really exciting to put this artist in the room with this songwriter or this artist in the room with this producer. So it was teaching me that. It was introducing me to the relevant Producers or the big ones, or and me sort of making my own way and finding some new up-and-coming ones. I always felt like um, the artists that were kind of big at the time, um, like Ellie Goulding was big, and um, Rudimental were on the come-up, and Disclosure were coming up, and um, it was all just getting in the mix of the writers around those projects and artists around those projects. So it's sort of like. It's finding a network for yourself so that when you find the artist you want to sign, you know what to do with them next, and that that I think is is probably the main thing. You just have to get out there and start meeting people, and you have to throw yourself into it.
0: So you mentioned network there, but this is kind of a boring question, really. But I often wonder with A and R, like, do you have like a black book of producers? Like, how do you remember all of these? Like literally, what's your brain, you know, the size of the planet. Like, how? What's your memory?
1: Like literally, I think that's part of the job as you progress. Literally, at the beginning, I had an Excel sheet, okay. so I had like my first sort of my first creative job. Like, Ferdy would come out, and he had signed Ellie Goulding, and he was like, "Can you get me some remixes on Ellie Goulding's next single?" So I then had an Excel sheet of relevant, either dance producers, drum and bass producers. Um, like hip-hop producers, like I'd categorize them by genre and you know how many followers they might have on SoundCloud or yeah like a black book, I literally had an excel sheet of people I could look at and go alright I'm going to ask this person to remix Ellie or you know that he had signed Lana Del Rey and I was doing a few Lana Del Rey remixes and stuff like that so I literally yeah I did have a black book and I had the same thing for producers and songwriters so at the beginning that's what I used and then obviously the more you get into it you make connections with people because they've done a good job on something you've asked them to you start to sort of really you start to really connect with people and then so after those artists in this in kind of like a six months period I signed Ray, Jax Jones and Muramasa all within a a similar time period and I had connections from stuff I'd done before and just about and I kind of you know that's when I started broadening the the network, and um, some exciting things started to happen.
0: I'd love to hear more about the Muramasa situation. How how did that kind of come about?
1: I, I think Muramasa was uh, Muramasa was the first the only thing that I've ever signed that I truly found by myself. So, like in the way in the same way that I'm talking about having a black book of producers. Normally, the way you find stuff is through like lawyers that you know, managers that you know, friends that you make in the industry when you're out at gigs. Like, and a lot of the stuff that I signed, it was a tip from somebody else be like, Oh, have you heard this? or um, a manager sending me something, or like a, a publisher friend being like, You should look at this. Everyone's looking at it. Muramasa is probably one of the only artists that I ever truly was. I was just on SoundCloud and I, and I listened to his music. I was, it was sort of like a. As, like, a taste thing more than it was, um, more than it was like an industry thing. I just liked him. He was in a, on a sound, he was in sort of like a SoundCloud community that there was like Soul Action and Kate Trenada was a big thing at the time. And he was amongst it, and I just kept hearing his beats that he was putting out. And then he put out an EP called Someday Somewhere, and there's a song on, on it called Firefly. And it was just, I just thought it was amazing. And I thought this guy has gone from like producing beats that I love to having like a singer on a record and it kind of feels like future pop music and I was really I was like I've got to do it and then I went to see him at Village Underground I, I saw him in Brighton first and he played in front kind of 50 people and then he was at Village Underground I was like I've got to do it he's like a, he's just just quality producer and quality at music and uh, yeah so that's kind of how that that sort of panned out
0: you spoke about tips there. Do you still, at, at your kind of senior level, do you still get tips? Like, do you still... Definitely. Is it is it always just a funnel of your staff bringing stuff to you or is there...
1: It's a bit of everything. You know, the way that we find music has changed. Like, if that was sort of like 10, 12 years ago, we went, you know it's always been a constant that you would rely on your network for tips what's going on you call people like I think that's always been an A&R thing I think it'll always be an A&R thing but in terms of like you know when I came into it it was very much sort of YouTube that you were finding new artists on YouTube people like sort of doing covers on YouTube and then like I said sbtv was a big thing and uh like youtube blogs then became a big thing like dance music and um and also just sort of like we had these we had hype machine which was sort of an aggregator for every every music blog over the internet it would chart like who was being what artists were being talked about the most and then um now it's like it's TikTok and it's data and it's spotify and it's um there's a, lot of, there's a lot of data involved with finding new artists now, which um, is new. But for me, I always rely on word of mouth. It's always been the way that I've found stuff and the way that I've found the best stuff. Um, it's always a constant. And um, as much as the way that we find new artists will always continue to change, that's sort of the most useful one for me. But there are, there are great A&Rs around at the moment who are finding stuff through algorithm, yeah. data, numbers, like it's it's the way it is at the moment with social media and TikTok, and um, it was
0: it was inevitable that we spoke about TikTok, and it, I guess it's a good time to also speak about your kind of latest bit of success with Vemby. Um, so how how did the Vemby signing come about? Was that so that was
1: TikTok, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously she she was doing really well on TikTok. She had put out a song called Lowdown. Um, a uh, young lady called Filler here, who's a scout, brought brought Vembi in, um, and we all thought the song was great, and we had a chat with her, and f- thought she was great. But most importantly, you know, there's tons of stuff on TikTok. Like there's there's so much um, around. There's so much music flying around. It's a visual platform, right? So there's tons of red her- herrings in terms of music, like people using a trend or a dance and using a sound for that, does that necessarily correlate to somebody wanting to listen to three minutes of that sound, right? So you have to weigh that up, but it was evident that there was a real hunger for this song that she had put out and um, she sent us some other music and there was just some great songs on there, like um, sort of TikTok's weird in that it's cut out like a whole line of development that an artist used to go through when they were, you know, from writing songs into their bedroom, to sort of going out and playing it at gigs, to building an audience, to taking it to radio or the, the old school method. Now they write a song in their bedroom, they can post it on TikTok the same day and have audience feedback and in some cases literally blow up overnight. So you've cut out this whole sort of filter system of like development, Writing finding and honing your craft that an artist used to have to go through and it's like day one write a song day two Labels are in touch. It's so and that and so that can create issues definitely, but with her She had she had put out music in another guys before she had written a lot of songs I thought she really honed her craft and there was some music with like really direct um, and brave lyrics should we say and um I just thought, you know, and, and Lowdown had a drum and bass element to it and she self-engineered, like she's seen that there's a scene going on in drum and bass. I thought like in the UK, if you look at any of, or like 99% of the big artists, they've all found a way through a scene that's happening uh, at the time. Ed Sheeran collaborated with tons of rappers, um, because that was as I said, SBTV was a thing. Rappers were were the thing. Sam Smith came through, used Disclosure, the dance world. You know, did a bit massive song with Naughty Boy. Jess Glynn had the Route 94 song, and then had a Rudimental. And you know, there's always a passageway. There's always something cool going on in music. And if you're a great artist, you'll figure out how to use that to get you to a point. And I feel like that's what Femby was doing. I felt like she'd self-engineered this drum and bass sound with a like really affecting like emotional record. Yeah, she's got like an
0: interesting story. I was reading a couple of articles earlier, um, about like not being able to write for quite some time and that sort of thing. So I guess there's there's also a lot of like substance there.
1: There's a lot of it. substance in terms of what she's been through as a yeah. person in sort of her youth and and um, and there's plenty of Emotion for her to draw on and and for other people to relate to. And then I had the link of records, and she had this song called Messy in Heaven, which I thought the lyric was nuts. Yeah. And, and, but I knew that there was a way, you know, like I had the record, it was going to be her next one. Goddard was doing like brilliant things in drum and bass and had done the Cat Burns remix. And I thought he, I thought there was an evolution there for him whereby he. Produced a record and was like a co-collaborator rather than just a, like a remixer of a of a song. So it all just sort of came together. He, we sent him the song. His version was great. Got another guy in called Jacob to help, to help um, you know finesse the production, and it all just really came together. And we had like we had the conversation with Vembi about the lyric which is about which is Jesus doing cocaine and it's not, you know the, it's a metaphor for her friend suffering with addiction and we knew that it might cause offense or ups, upset she felt in, in artistic terms that she just didn't want to change it that that's how she wanted it and that's how it should be and that there wasn't there was no like target of ridicule or um or like any uh, there shouldn't be any like victim of that it's just a it's a metaphor and it's how she sort of wanted to interpret it and so yeah it's great that's that's sort of how it came together it's and it's done really well and i'm really grateful for that
0: she's interesting in that i wouldn't have said you probably wouldn't look at um, her socials and say oh she's kind of a social-led artist even though that success has been social led do you see what I mean? A hundred percent How are you dealing with that in a way like building her image and, and whatnot? not how, how involved are you in, in that sort of thing
1: Yeah I think it, it it's about it's like first and foremost about the music will start to tell the story right like you can we were we had concern that there are other parts of the, the of the industry that look at TikTok and one and have the same worries that like, look is it just one song yeah. is it just a moment but obviously she had had lowdown which to me feels like a quite a credible song and then we've got messy in heaven, which is a hit song and commercial there's no denying that she's a talent. Um, and her and her socials aren't like huge they're not like i think
0: it's streaming duals her
1: socials yeah resources. i think it's just engagement in records i think it's probably people really resonating with the stuff that she has to say i think even if it only gets to a small amount of people the small that those people will be really engaged so it's up to us like i said tiktok lets you cut out probably 18 months worth of work and audience growth and telling this narrative and story so you can press it all into like this all into like two single releases so our aim for her as a team is just a is to tell the story through future music releases sort of uh, and um, and grow that way like we can't we can't force people we can't pressure It's just about releasing good music and and having patience. And I think releasing a lot as well to tell the story. I don't want to be... I I think it's wrong. We used to work in a way whereby like an artist would release a single and have three or four hit records and then release an album. And I just think you have to be nimble and flexible at the moment in terms of an artist campaign, because some artists will be more single led than others. And also, I don't think that there is a formula for what feels like a hit record anymore. I don't. I think if you look at in the last year, at what's been number one and what's what's happening out there, nobody's sitting around going, "Oh, that's the number one record." They sort of happen. They grow out of culture. They grow out of TikTok. They, like these things just happen. So I think it's just important to put out good quality music that's telling a story and and is part of an artist's narrative. And I think. And I think that's what we'll do with MB. We'll just continue to put out the records that feel really relevant to her story.
0: Do you enjoy A&R now more or less than you used to? So, how many years have you been
1: been doing about? it? I think I've been, I think I've been doing it maybe like 11, 12
0: years. So you've seen some changes. I mean, can you speak to some of those differences that from from when you were first?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously. I've seen the change from street, like from sort of downloads to streaming and sort of um, like campaigns. Obviously, you used to have records on the radio first for a long period before the record came out. And then you could front load all of this hard work you'd done. You would know what your week one sales are going to be and you'd come out and you're number one or you're in the top 10 or whatever. And all campaigns were directed to that, to like how much radio play can we get, how much... Notoriety notoriety can we get on a on a record before we put it out and that that changed that when you know on air on sale once it's on the radio it's on sale and and then from downloads to streaming um, and then obviously like the different ways in which we're finding music like changes all the time but I can't say that I can't say that um, there's been a change for my enjoyment of the job it's just like a dream job um, and it's all it has to change to keep up with you know technology and um, the different ways in which people listen and consume and to take in music it, it has to change but I can't say I prefer one thing to the other you just get used to it it felt like when a change happens you feel like it's going to kill you it's like how, how am I ever going to like figure out what a who a great artist is if TikTok's dictating it or how but there's just the challenge in that it's like that's what the job is it's your instinct and we listen to like so much music and so much new music and I was like you're only going to hear I think you're only going to hear max three things in a year that makes the hairs that stand up on mm-hmm. the back of your neck and you think it's special and it's when you get that moment, when you're like, when you have a song or you you hear an artist, and you can't wait when you wake up in the morning to listen to it, yeah. that's that's the moment. And no matter how the industry changes, that's always going to be the part of the job that you come in for. It's like I've got it, I've got it. It's that moment I found somebody special or this song is special. Um, so like that's the enjoyment.
0: I was going to ask about that really is is kind of your taste versus commercial viability, right? Like, the, how do you communicate in your A and R meetings about stuff that you personally don't like but you think would do well? Do you see what I mean? Like, I think the team has mentioned this one to me. That's what
1: yeah. I'm about no, no. It's a, it's really valid. I think I'm really lucky in that. I feel the reason that I've got to this point is that my taste is aligned with stuff that would do well. I think, I, like I said, I, I, I feel privileged in my upbringing that I wasn't massively, like, taste-influenced, mm-hmm. that I sort of just sort of found my own way because I, I describe it as having, like, a bit of a suburban, like, taste in music in that it's not, like, really tasteful. It's not, like, I, I'm not, like, the high end of, like, music sophistication. I feel like I have a mass... Like, like I think what I would like, a lot of people would like. So I don't, I I tend not to like. If I don't like something, if I really don't like something, I hope that that would mean that it's just not right, or yeah. uh, and I hope that if I really like something, it means. So I've never been in a conflicted position <laughs> whereby I'm looking at something, and I'm like, ah, oh, I really don't like it, right. but but it's gonna go. Like there are some occasions, I you know, it depends if it's one, if it's one song, I don't know, maybe you would be able to get away. You'd never be able to work with an artist that you didn't like, that you didn't like the music or it wasn't your taste. It's, it's just not going to work. How are you going to, how are you going to provide value and, and fair sort of feedback and to that artist, if the, if the songs or the music isn't what you're into. So, um, there's certain there's certainly scenarios where it, where it comes up, you know, where TikTok or Spotify something's going viral and you're not sure if you like it or not, but I tend not to do those records.
0: Should we talk a bit more about music? So so you said it was the Streets garage etc. Yeah. You were like a late T. Yeah. But how did your... What, what have you been listening to since then, basically? I know it's a, a long, long, you
1: know, that's a large... It's really odd because I don't feel like I have, like, an incredible, very... Like, I listen to a lot of old music at home now. Like, I listen to Stevie Wonder a lot and, like, into, like, Motown, and that's what me and my missus would listen to if we were at home. Like, I went through a stage that I really think... Uh, when I first started out in A&R... And I think um I really sort of learned like music taste and what I what I loved when there was an era where there was like Jamie XX and Santa and Alt J, Jesse Ware, Disclosure, like J Paul, like there was there was this era that just felt like really cool, like on the verge of what pop music should be. Um that I, I sort of, I felt like i most, that was my, that was my sort of best relationship with music. Um, and that's what I was into. But now I, do, now I, again, I just listen to pop music. I can really appreciate, I can really appreciate like a, an Ariana Grande song as much as I can appreciate a Fred again or a Heady One song. Like, I like I love both ends of the spectrum. Um, and I love delving into what makes a massive pop song and a massive commercial success that and I think there's an art in it in sort of like what Max Martin does and like as a pop producer and how he's managed to do it for the last 20 years like trying to decipher that and also Trying to stay in tune with culture and club culture because I just believe with the UK That's when where you're going to break an artist or where exciting music comes from. It's all it has always been that and it's always It's always changed, you know, when, like when I said when I came in it was it was rap music and there was uh, sort of my take like Kano in the streets and Wiley and um, that was the scene at the time and and that, and then that sort of faded away and Deep House came into play and everyone was talking about Disclosure and you had sort of like hits from Route 94 and um, Gorgon City and like, you know, Disclosure came into play and there was like a whole, you know, scene. And then it pivoted again. And at some point, uh, there's probably a massive gap, at some point Drill Music was just like the rawest, most sort of like credible thing. Um, it just always changes so it's like stay, staying in touch with that it's like it is and and trying to figure out what's going to be next is like it's also you know the part you have to decipher the two ends of the spectrum what's a massive pop hit commercial success and what is the what is the most cultural and most exciting thing because i believe probably the pop success doesn't happen without the culture part. It, it takes a long time, but I think that's where it comes from. Ultimately, the most exciting artists come from, and we're very good at it in the UK, and things have to grow from from what's happening on the underground.
0: Firstly, what, what advice have you been given that, that kind of has stuck with you for the last 10, 11 years?
1: When I, th- when I first came in, I had, like, I had no clue how to get into it. And I think the, the best advice that I was sort of given was just go and meet people. Go and meet other people, people that you've heard about, that you that you admire. You've heard of signed an artist that you like. Just go out and meet everyone because they become your basis of how you're going to find new artists. Um, and yeah, go to studios, meet producers. Like you don't have to have a reason to meet like producers and creative people other than you like what they're doing or you think that they're, they're good you know I'm sure there's a lot of people out there willing to sort of provide direction and mentorship and stuff I think the there's a guy there was a guy called Nick Shamansky at Polydor when when I first was there and, and I was like what do I do and he's like just draw up a list of names of managers of acts that you like and then go and meet them and I was like why what do I talk about he's like whatever you want you don't have to have a reason to so like I think that, I think just... Like, it's, when you get into A&R, like, nobody... There's no, like, qualification to do A&R, right? And nobody's gonna tell you how to start. You yeah. just have to be doing it. Like, it's just something that you're doing, not something that you're told to do or told you're allowed to do. Either you're doing it or you're not. So, I mean, it's different now. Like, at the time when I started, it that would mean, are you out at gigs every night? But it's probably not enough gigs, like... There's more information on TikTok and on Spotify and on SoundCloud than there is going out every night, for instance. So you can be doing A an and R from your computer at home, yeah. right? You or you can be doing A and R in that you going to raves, are you going out? Are you hit, are you on the on the scene? Are you looking at what DJs are playing? I say on the session. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that as well though. You know, like, but like, are you are you out and about like that? You could. Just being out and having information that like oh so and so played this night, and he played this song and he set and it was it was going off like that's doing a and r like you've got in you might have information that another a and r person might need if you're out and about like um so just start doing it. you don't need somebody to tell you that you that you can be doing it, you can just be doing it. I think is probably like the overriding sort of advice I was given was just like what's stopping you from getting up from your desk and going out and meeting some people and or like delving into your computer at home if you don't want to go out you can just literally sit there and be looking at SoundCloud charts going all right what's you know the north of England listening to like there's literally no excuse not to be doing it if you want to be so, you,
0: you spoke earlier about kind of having success at Polydor, and now you're at Columbia, but you've got your own imprint here. What sort of questions, and I asked this to Joel, who has um, just made another big, big step over the yeah. corner. Um, what sort of questions do you ask yourself before making a career decision like that? Like, what's. Oh, look. About- it's, hugely, it's hugely difficult. Like is
1: it's and I and I'm not somebody who sort of has made a lot of changes and I had been there I had been at Polydor for twelve years like since I had started as an intern, so, I think, you know the main thing for me is career progression, and obviously I had a, I had a really good roster that was that I felt I felt really proud of I was working I was I had signed Ray I was working with Ray I was Jax Jones, um, Celeste like, um, uh, Muramasa and you know, I, I was working on Ellie Goulding's album. It was, it's like brilliant. I loved it. I felt the questions that you have to ask yourself is, have you given enough? Is there more to give? Is there like, what do you want for yourself? And I think, um, at the end of it, you have to sort of do what's right. For you and and what's right for your progression and yeah like changing after being somewhere so long is, is and like you know there's no guarantee you're going to do it again like i had the safety of people that, the artists that were all like in a successful place and like you leave them and it's like you're ever going to be able to find another one it's like it's a bit of a safety blanket um but it's just about like looking at that and backing yourself and feeling like, look, I feel like I know how to spot talent. I've done it here, like on multiple occasions. Like, like for me, it was about challenging challenging myself to be able to do it again, and be, and not being too comfortable and having that sort of fear and drive back of when I when I remember when I first started, I couldn't have wanted to to be involved with signing a new artist anymore. Yeah. And I just didn't want to be too comfortable. I didn't want to be like, oh, okay, this is my roster of artists. I can sit here for the next couple of years and be alright and be safe. I wanted to kind of feel a little bit of danger again, and like hopefully that would drive me to more success.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so.
0: And you've got you've got a family now. How do you how do you find um, balance in in such a senior senior or major?
1: I think it's about. Um, making like a very clear cut decision that well ultimately it's just like I give as much as I can when I'm not working so like at the weekends like my weekends are for my family and I spend as much time with my kids and uh, and my missus as possible so I've, I just kind of made a decision like I, I'm like a like I'm a family first and then and then everything else comes after. So, I'm not, I'm not like moving countries if I, if my family doesn't want to or yeah. if it's not right for them or whatever. Like my, my family will always come first, and if you know that, then that's cool. But I think you know, I've I've been with my other half a long time. Since I was, since I started at Polydor, so she knows what is involved in the job and the sacrifices that kind of have to be made, and she's supportive in that. So, yeah, like it's difficult because there's the hours can be odd, or you might have to jump on a plane and go to LA for a week, or like and do some stuff like that. But it's all with the territory. Like it's um and making the decision. Yeah, like it. It's like there. I'm not, I'm just, like my drive in this is like, I love working with really talented people and having some success. I'm not overly like ambitious in terms of, I really want to like be the chairman of a company abroad. I just like, I really like doing A&R. And as long as I can continue to do that, I'll be really happy. Like, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Of a nice position to be in. Yeah, yeah, I really, I don't want to lose, like, the AR aspect. It's why yeah. I really enjoy my job. I, it's, I Even, like, from when I, I mind, said...
0: Mindlessly hunting for the next yeah, step.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, for, at fourteen, fifteen, or, like... I, I don't know, when I did work experience, I did work experience at a stockbroking company, and, like, I was like, this is horrible, right? So I just wanted a job that I wanted to go into, like... Every I I didn't particularly like score and you know you get the depressing feeling on a Sunday before Monday. Scary, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't want that and I've never had that in this job. I've never, never on a Sunday have I thought, oh, I've got to go into work tomorrow. Like and that's that was my that's my ambition in life. That was it. Just have a job that you don't mind going to. And like this is it. So I don't want for more other than just like like being able to keep doing it being able to keep being an A&R and like finding some good some great music and um, yeah that's it cool
0: um I'll just do a qu- few quick fire questions yeah. then let let you get on because I'm stealing your time um what do you picture for your retirement
1: oh that's interesting I I I want my retirement to feel like that's a really good question I don't want to, I never really want to be fully retired. I'd love to be able to be doing stuff in music. Like I see, I see people that you know don't want to because they like the sport of it, and I think I'll still love the sport of it. I would love to be able to continue doing bits and pieces in music. Obviously, you get to an age like and young artist, aren't going to want to sign to a sixty-five-year-old guy. Like, but I would love to be, you know, like a mentor for other A and R's or something. But ultimately, like, have a Holiday home, spend lots of time playing golf, yeah, and chilling and chilling with my family, and hopefully watching my kids. Maybe one of my kids working in music or something.
0: Cool. If you could move anywhere in the world tomorrow, and with the caveat that your family also wanted to move there, where would you move? Um,
1: Oh, I'd probably. Would I'd probably move to America? Just depending on where I've never. I. I' I'd say, I'd say I'd give LA a try. I've been there quite a few times. Obviously it's where like the music industry is at. Um, so yeah, like I'd say that I'd give that a try. but I don't I, I, I don't have any ambition or want to yeah. to go anywhere else. Like this is quite a tough question.
0: Um, what's the most mundane item that's improved your life? what's like a boring purchase that you've made that you're actually really happy with.
1: Can I say my barbecue, yeah, I'm I bought I bought a barbecue. I love cooking, <laughs> and I bought a barbecue. It's called a it's a Com a Kamado Joe, and it smokes. And it's like it's like my hobby. Like I'll be out there in the rain. Like
0: do you watch all them YouTube? I've, I've seen all the article, time, yeah.
1: all the time. Yeah. So it is like, and the people are so bored if I start talking about it, but I love it. Like it's a real investment, and it's like my weekend thing that I will be cooking. So, like really needlessly, it's like over the top, like something I can just do on the stove, I'll yeah. take to the barbecue, light a fire, take, wait 20 minutes for the barbecue to heat up. Like, I don't know, I just get a real, uh, it's just a real vibe. It's my happy place.
0: Can you give me five
1: songs that you're enjoying at the moment? I always hate this question. Sorry. Um, cause I can, no, because I can never think of any. Um, I love the Steve Lacey tune. Bad Habits, I love uh, Rumble, the Skrillex and Fred again tune, and flow Dan. Um, do you know what's mad, right? When people ask me what music I listen to, I, I don't. I, I, I listen to, like, if I walk out of the building, I'll put my Dropbox on and I'll listen to Vemby demos and Sick. be like, how can I improve that song? Or how can I improve this yeah. song? Or, like, how can I, how can I um, you know, like, what's... Like, what am I listening to for enjoyment? And then I get home and my missus puts on Stevie Wonder. Like, I don't really listen to that much music, so it's always hard when people ask me, like, what I'm listening to. does not work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What can I say? I like Piri and Tommy, I think they're cool. Um, I like the Pink Panther song. Obviously, I'm listening to Messy in Heaven over and over again. Um, And what else have I listened to recently that I've listened to more than once? Oh, do you know what I listen to all the time is um, Sam, Fender, Seventeen, Guy and Under. I think it's just one of the best songs like in the last five years.
0: Um, You're probably not going to like the last question then. or the pronouncement one even. Yeah. If you could do a U2 and put one album on everyone's iPhone, what would it be?
1: Um. I'm going to say uh, The Streets. Yeah, I'm going to say The Streets' original pirate material. I think that album most, it was like most affected me as like a 15, 16 year old in my bedroom listening to it um and I think it's like a, just a really it's just a really great insight into like UK culture and and just brilliantly put together.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this. Um, we're getting up there with the episodes now uh, and we have quite a few exciting ones to announce soon. See what podcasts are coming next but also to hear what the odd numbers team are working on do check out at underscore odd numbers on instagram or check out our website which is oddnumbersmusic.co.uk thanks to lauren who edited this lauren arch and thank you to sas traparazzi for the music